<sighs> okay, here we go. If you're a serious or even a recreational exerciser, you want to get faster or stronger. That is, after all, where some of the fun of our dedicated exercise time is derived. And for many of us, getting faster or making those hard-fought-for muscles more noticeable means losing some body fat. Now, this can be a tricky endeavor when you're also trying to enjoy your workouts, live an active lifestyle, be good at your job, raise a family, and maybe even perform well in some races and events. While you want to weigh less, you also don't want to lose any precious muscle that you know helps you do the activities that you enjoy. So, in this episode, I have asked nutrition and behavior change coach Monica Reinagel to join me to talk about how and why the idea of losing weight is a lot more meaningful and nuanced than it used to be. My name is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. But before we get started. As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But if you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. So Monica Reinagel, you are, you have the distinction of being the first guest to make their second appearance on the Second Wind Fitness podcast. So bravo. I'm the, t I'm the title holder. It's kind of like being the person who's hosted SNL the most times, right? Exactly the same. That is the perfect corollary. <laughs> so for now, I'm the title holder. Hooray! So welcome back. And I could not think of anybody better to address this subject because I, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now know that you and I do a podcast called The Change Academy together. And we also run a, a business called Wayless together. And what we're getting into today is really very much at the heart of what we do in the Wayless program. And also the sort of surrounding information is exactly what we do in the change academy so why not have my business partner my friend and and uh, somebody who really knows their stuff about this come on to talk about it with me so thank you well thanks for inviting me i'm looking forward to this conversation i did some google searching as i often do before i start recording or i want to see what everybody else is saying about a topic just to make sure that sometimes that it lines up with the sort of common knowledge, but also to make sure that I'm not just blowing the same information out into the world. And this idea of a healthy body composition 
is really misunderstood. And all of the top hits when I Googled it all had to do with, if you're a woman, have 21% body fat. If you're a man, as if we're all built exactly the same and we're all coming off the assembly line with exactly the same parameters. And so I feel like this is such a such an important topic to get right really at this time in in history. Yeah, let's dig in. So let's start with the big question then. What the heck is a healthy body composition or a body composition for for that matter at all, never mind a healthy or unhealthy? I think that this is set up sort of in opposition to basing everything on the number on the scale. How many yeah. pounds or kilograms you weigh and then usually translate the, translating that into the body mass index, which is just a feature of how much you weigh versus how tall you are. And that's become kind of our main metric, I think, because it's an easy one to get our hands on. Yeah. Everybody knows how tall they are. Everybody can jump on the scale. So it's easy to calculate that. And yet so much is not included in that number. So much important information. The biggest thing being body composition. How is How are those pounds or kilograms distributed among all the different kinds of tissue that you can have on your body? How much of it is fat? How much of it is muscle? How much of it is bone? How much of it is water? Because those distributions add a lot of nuance to that number of the number on the scale. It is. And it, it is unfortunate that we've taken one reductionist sort of number, which is the number on the scale and turned it into another <laughs> reductionist number, which is the BMI or just your body fat percentage and called that good enough. I mean, I understand the desire to make it easy and simple and something that we can really wrap our heads around quickly, but it is our biology is always so much more complicated than just one single number. And, and you're right. Like there's, there are so many things going on inside our bodies. Like I, I'm glad you brought up water because I mean, that can skew things in enormous directions. We, we know in the way last program, we have our members of the program weigh themselves on a daily basis. And the, the alarming messages that we get from people saying, I put in on five pounds overnight. <laughs> right. It often is water in that case, especially when it comes on so suddenly. So yeah, it really, it's more than bone. It's more than muscle. It's more than fat. It's, it's all of our parts working in synergy with each other. Well, let's back it up, though, because I think you're right to boil that down to a target number that we need to achieve is similarly overly simplistic. But there is a larger wisdom here, and that is that body composition matters, right? Right. There's that phenomenon of, is this an unfortunate term, but you'll know exactly what I mean, of people who are skinny fat, mm -hmm. meaning they their weight is very low for their height they they register as healthy weight on the bmi charts and yet they have very little lean muscle and a lot of the weight that they do have is fat packed around their internal organs and this turns out to be really metabolically unhealthy in a way that we just wouldn't even capture if we were just looking at their weight or their bmi so this is an important concept that body composition matters, but as with almost anything else, it's, you know, how we apply this information to our practices that really matters and how we personalize it to our goals. So I know you work with a lot of people who are working on 
their physique. You know, they want, they're working hard on their muscles. They want those muscles to show. And so they're looking to reduce their body fat percentage so that those muscles are more visible. And I would just point out that reducing your body fat to make your muscles more visible, that's no longer a health consideration. That's purely aesthetic and an aesthetic. Thank you. That's a good word. (laughs) Uh, An aesthetic consideration. Not that that's a bad thing, but we want to also draw a line between, you know, what's a healthy body composition in terms of what supports optimal health and what might be a body composition that you are aspiring to for other reasons. Does that, is that fair? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't want this to this topic to turn into some sort of a, a a battle of who has the the higher muscle mass and the lower body fat percentages, because that isn't necessarily the goal. That isn't a healthy goal in and of itself. Skewing those numbers in that direction can often be for for most of us. That's not a a bad idea, but you can definitely go too far in in any direction. And, and I wanted to just pick up on one thing that you said about the, the body fat, about the, the sort of the skinny fat idea. Even when it comes to body fat, there's at least two different mm. kinds. There's certainly more than that, but there's the visceral fat and the subcutaneous fat. So, Oh, and then the brown fat. <laughs> and then the brown fat. Right. And the, the, yeah, it's all, all different types of fat and where they live can have a very different effect on our health. Right. Again, not talking about aesthetics, but on our directly on our health. But you're also right that it's not important to get fixated on knowing exactly all those numbers and going and getting a DEXA scan every two weeks or something to to keep a, an eye on it. What we what I really wanted to the reason I, I brought you on, what I really wanted to focus on in this episode was how we can actually apply this information in our regimen and how maybe we've gotten it wrong in the past as well. So I think the idea of, of looking at how this is so different from hitting just that specific number on the scale mm-hmm. is, uh, is really my, my goal here. I don't want to, yeah, don't want to get people fixated on trying to increase one number and drop the other number at the expense of their health. That's for sure. Right. And, you know, and having a sensitivity to the importance of body composition is going to influence our strategies for how we're pursuing our health goals how we're going to go about if we're trying to lose weight, if we're trying to gain muscle. For example, can we do both at once? Do we have to do them in a specific sequence? So bringing this into the conversation, I think really has very practical applications for people in how they're going to go about moving towards whatever their goals are. Something that actually really kind of um, blew a lot of minds when we started the Weight Loss program and started promoting this idea of losing weight slower than even the slowest diets were were putting out there a lot of people sort of pushed back against that because everybody wants to do things quickly everybody wants to achieve their goals quickly but one of the main reasons or one of the the main convincers that that we were able to or that you were actually able to unearth around the idea of losing weight a little bit slower than even the slowest diets was exactly this was maintaining that healthy body composition go Mm -hmm. can you actually can you explain what what was going on there like what the studies were saying in terms of losing weight too quickly right well i just want to say yes that is hard to get people on board with because we've been trained to pursue weight loss as quickly as possible 
until they understand this. And then people are convinced, right? Yeah. Um, so what we see is that if you are losing, well, this is kind of common sense, right? If you're losing weight faster than your body can lose fat, then you're losing something besides fat, right? Right. It's just simple math. And most of us have been trained to expect or coached to lose weight significantly faster than our bodies are capable of losing body fat. And that means for every pound we're losing, we're losing some fat, usually not even 50% of that weight is fat. We're losing some water that's not as big a deal. And the rest of it is lean muscle tissue that we're losing because it has to come from somewhere. And this is absolutely not what we're trying to accomplish. And, And when we're chasing a number on a scale, this is the danger that we're chasing that number on the scale at the expense of our lean muscle, which is, believe me, not the body you are trying to build and not the body that you are looking forward to showing off. So when we can convince people that by calibrating the pace of weight loss to the pace of fat loss, they can actually look better sooner and have a much easier time of it. Usually they're all in. Well, and in terms of the stuff that I do here on Second Wind Fitness, you're still able to do those activities and enjoy your active lifestyle. Yeah. Instead of sacrificing the ability to to do some of the things that you love because you've lost that that muscle mass. But one of the questions that often comes up when when we're explaining that to people is like people say, well, why the heck would my body do that? <laughs> why would it lose muscle when I, I really just want it to lose fat? Why why would it do that? And there is a really good explanation for that. And that is that muscle is metabolically costly. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean that it uses more calories in general than fat does. So your body is if it's put into a, a state of, um, for lack of a better term, starvation, it's going to shed the thing that's using the most calories first, or it'll at least prioritize it because it's just trying to survive. So it kind of makes, once again, it makes sense when you think about it in a, in a really logical way. Yeah. And there's also just, you know, every chemical reaction has limits on the speed of that reaction and the amount of substrates that can be mobilized. And so there's also just kind of some hard limits on how fast the body can go through the chemical process of converting fat into energy, into carbon and water and, you know, all of that. So, so there are also just some kind of biochemical limitations on the speed at which we can burn fat. And then I guess the next sort of thing that that really falls into place when when we're talking about just sort of the way that people look at weight loss these days is so many people end up losing a bunch of weight and then putting it back on and right. then losing a bunch of weight and then putting it back on because we set ourselves up with these unsustainable diet programs. And I think a lot of people feel like that's kind of harmless in some way because, well, I'm losing the same 10 or 20 or 50 pounds over and over again. No big deal. But Oh, but you're not losing the same 20 pounds over and over again. You're right. This is, I think people do feel like, okay, that wasn't what I meant. It's not what I intended, but I'm no worse off than I was before. But here's the thing. Because we tend to lose weight so quickly, and we are losing a substantial amount of lean muscle tissue, some of that 20 pounds that we lost was muscle, and some was fat. But when it slowly creeps back up, when we relax our guard, when we go off our quote-unquote diet regimen, 
and start living our normal lives again and the scale starts to tick up, what we're putting back on is usually mostly fat. Unless we're really working hard at the gym, you know, the weight that creeps back on is more likely to be fat. And so every time you regain that same quote unquote 20 pounds, a greater percentage of it is fat. You're actually moving your body composition in the wrong direction every single time, taking another step in the wrong direction, you know, and there's a lot of consequences to that. You know, when we have a lower muscle mass on our bodies, we burn, as you just pointed out, we burn fewer calories. So we are also kind of impacting our metabolic rate. And, you know, we're just, it's just a perfect storm. And it's no wonder that people get trapped in this yo-yo dieting cycle. When you look at the mechanics of it, it makes perfect sense, but there is a way out. That's the, that's the good news. Yes. Yes. We're not going to leave you just throwing your hands <laughs> up in disgust and, and right. for a loss of, of anything to do. We will give you some, some ideas here, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Especially and I know a lot of people are out there listening to this podcast because I'm I'm 50. Monica, you're in your 50s as well. A lot of people out there listening are also in there. And not only have we probably, I mean, I have as well. I've lost weight too quickly. I have yo-yo dieted in the in the past, and I definitely have found myself in that situation where sort of looking at your body and thinking, well, what the heck happened? Mm. And like my metabolism is totally screwed and oh, getting old sucks. But <laughs> if we do take our time and we do sort of turn this around, it, it really is reversible is the, is the good news here. Well, you bring up another important point though, and that is that there's also some downward pressure on our muscle mass just by virtue of aging, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of separate from that other issue we do tend to start to lose some of our muscle mass. Uh, once we're actually even over 40, we start to lose a little bit. And some I of that is 30, actually. It yeah, even starts. I didn't want to be too much really, of a downer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some of that, of course, is behavioral. It's because we tend to get less active. Our recreation tends to be a lot less active. We start to act like grownups. <laughs> and, yeah. And, jobs at desks. And, right. Yeah. Uh, but some of it is actually just a feature of the aging body. Uh, and so we're, we're losing muscle mass a little bit anyway, as we get older, we cannot afford to compound that with fast weight loss. We really want to be doing everything we can to hang on to as much muscle mass or add as much muscle mass as we can, as we age. And that is really not compatible with fast weight loss. It is compatible with slow, steady weight loss. But if we could just pause here for a second to talk about why that loss of muscle mass is so is such a problem. Okay. And and that is, you know, we especially for women, I'll speak to your women listeners, you know, we are so terrified of losing bone as we get older. Mm. And we've been taught that this makes us frail and that we'll fall, we'll break a hip and then, you know, 8 years later we'll be dead, right? But the muscle is what helps us hold on to bone. Absolutely. When we lose muscle, we lose bone. And so I really see that frailty that we observe, like in our parents' generation and start to get worried about, right? At the point of life where you and I are, Brock, <laughs> we're watching our parents' generation age and we're like, oh no, <laughs> I need to yeah. get on this. Right. That frailty that we're seeing is actually has its roots in the slow loss of muscle that starts in midlife, because that then accelerates the loss of bone, the loss of strength, the loss of balance and flexibility, mobility, 
It really does start with muscle mass. Okay, you know I have a lot to say about that, but first we have to pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. The idea of being a durable human has come up a number of times on this podcast. I mm. think Tim Wagner talked about it. I think Craig Alexander talked about it. Um, Debbie Potts. I've had a few guests who have over 40 have really changed their focus to become more durable. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's it's more than just having strong bones. It's more than having enviable biceps too. Like this yeah. isn't about how you look in your t-shirt. Being a, a durable person moving into this part of your life means that you can avoid or at least mitigate some of those some of those falls, some of the the things that have tripped up the the previous generations and and yeah, you're absolutely right. But it also, I feel like being durable and being strong and being capable creates a really nice, what what we refer to often in the Weight Loss Program is a virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. So when you start to start to feel a little more strong, you start to feel a little more capable, maybe you see a little bit of muscle where you hadn't before, it makes you actually take a little bit better care of yourself. And maybe you start to choose an extra salad instead of the french fries once a week and you start to do start to go for a walk in the evening and start to make those choices that actually align with a person who does feel strong and capable and and has that durability to them and i think that is really magic when you can start to to incorporate all of those things and it starts to take on its own identity and its own life in in your own body it can be really really magical well, and I think one of the keys there is it starts to become its own reward. Right. When you feel stronger, moving is more enjoyable. And so you're more likely to pursue it and enjoy it. And, you know, again, that virtuous cycle you were just talking about. So it's not just about becoming more disciplined. It's it's really a very self-reinforcing cycle when you start to feel the rewards of the strength and the mobility and, you know, moving through the world more easily then moving through the world becomes more fun and you do more of it. So it's, we want to emphasize, I think the, the payoff of this, you know, it's not just about avoiding debility. It's about accessing ability and accessing the ability to enjoy our lives. And that means enjoying our bodies. Yeah. And I I fear when I start talking about strength training and resistance training and stuff on this podcast, that there's a a subset of people who are listening to the podcast who sort of just tune out because they're like, I don't really care about having big muscles, but hopefully you care about this. No matter how much you don't want to have, don't want to be muscle bound or, or bulk up. This is really important stuff. And actually more and more, I do remember hearing a lot of that from women, especially I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, but less and less. I feel like the women my age are like, muscles, bring them on. (laughs) (laughs) 
I want to be like ripping my t-shirts. Um, there, you know, I don't think that there's that fear and that stigma of, of being a strong and yes, muscular women. We have so many wonderful role models for, for this now. And, uh, and it's not seen as something that would be unladylike. I think a lot more women my age really do aspire to, you know, a degree of strength and muscularity even that would have been not appealing to our moms. Although yeah. even my mom now is like, you know what? I think maybe I'd like to be a little bit more muscular. Yeah, my mom too. She was moving a bunch of rocks in her front yard a couple of years ago and she was showing off her biceps and she was so proud of them. And I was <laughs> right. like, yeah, go mom. Okay, so we already talked about the the idea of losing weight too quickly being one of the problems. And we've definitely talked about the the idea of yo-yo dieting and, and just decreasing and losing that muscle mass over and over again being problems. But how can we actually do something about that now? Let's get actionable here. Okay. So let's start with the, like, how quickly is too quickly to lose weight? Well, we have a lot of experience with this, right, Brock? Right. <laughs> and the, in general, even the most conservative weight loss programs will suggest that you should be losing 1% to 2% of your total body weight per week, right? And, and that, yeah. you know, when you do the math on that, so if you're you know, 180 pounds, that's two pounds a week. That probably sounds like, yep, that sounds right. Not right. Yeah, that's what people <laughs> say all the time. Yeah. Right. And, and what we can see is that the, um, for most people who are not training at an elite athlete level, peak body fat loss is really more like two or two and a half percent of total body weight per month. So we're going to yeah. slow it way down. And then we, we get the benefit of knowing that what we are losing is a fat and not muscle. So we're going to enjoy the aesthetic benefits of that sooner. And B, we're also going to have a better chance of that being permanent and sustainable and not temporary. So it's worth it to slow down. It's also easier, right? To to make the shifts in our behavior, in our habits that would result in losing two, two and a half percent of our body weight per month than to try to do that every week. Right. And then I also think that it's much more possible for us to actually be maintaining or even building muscle mass while we're losing. Yes. Something that is virtually impossible to do when you are shedding a couple of percent of your body weight every week. It's just, it's really hard to do. Yeah, and part of it is just energy levels when you're when you're sacrificing mm -hmm. and you're you're living on so few calories, you don't have a lot of energy to go and and do the the activities Good that point. do maintain muscle mass. And I'm not talking about going to the gym and doing like huge squats with a barbell across your back. I'm I'm talking about like just carrying something heavy across the backyard or yeah. lifting some heavy groceries up the stairs. Those kinds of things do maintain our muscle mass and keep keep us strong and capable and, and durable. But yeah, when you're in that low caloric state that most diets put you into where you're losing that amount of, of weight per week, yeah. it's really hard to do that stuff. And, and so then you've really, you've got a double whammy. Your body's actually shedding the muscle and you're not able to convince it to stop it because right. you're not challenging the muscles in a meaningful way. But there's one other important thing that we can do, even when we are losing weight slowly, even when we're trying to hold on to our muscle mass. And that is making sure that we keep our protein intake up, mm -hmm. um, especially once we're over 50 because of an interesting phenomenon that I became aware of a few years ago. It's got kind of a sexy name called anabolic resistance. 
Mm. <laughs> and what that means really is just that, you know, protein is the nutrient that we use, that our bodies use to synthesize new muscle tissue exclusively, right? And we need more protein as we get older to get the same effects as we got from protein when we were younger. We become a little bit more resistant to the muscle building effects of protein foods. So it just takes a slightly bigger dose to get the same effect. And at the same time, most of us end up eating a little bit less protein as we get older. So we want to reverse that trend and we want to make sure that we um, are keeping our protein and take up as we go through life, not having it all in one place at dinner, which is right. also how most of us tend to eat. Um, you can usually cut the portion of protein at dinner in half. And the best place to put the other half is at breakfast, where we tend to eat very, very little protein. Take those leftovers from dinner the yeah. night before and put them on your breakfast the next morning. That is like, I don't like to talk about hacks per se on this podcast, but that particular hack, I guess, of breaking your your protein intake up over the entire day has really changed things for me because yeah i was the same as most people out there where dinner was the main protein source mm -hmm. breakfast virtually none unless i was having eggs and yeah and then lunch was maybe like a cold cut or a slice of ham or something so just focusing on getting it broken up over the three meals has made it a lot easier to hit those the the protein goals and you you often suggest with 25 or 30 grams per meal? Yeah, if if you can hit 30 at, at least once a day, ideally twice a day, that's great. But for those who find that really challenging to do, it's not like an on-off switch where if you don't ring that bell, nothing's happening. You're absolutely getting some benefit. So every step you can take in that direction is meaningful, is helpful. So so yes, in an ideal world, if you could have as a goal to get two discrete 30 gram servings of protein per day, that would be awesome, but don't let perfect be the enemy of good. If you can hit it once a day, great. If you can get it to 20 or 25, but not all the way to 30, still worth it because that is what's going to allow your body to continue to replace the muscle that it's constantly remodeling, right? And, and hang on to muscle as we age to respond to exercise by laying down new muscle, all the good things, right? Keeping the basal metabolic rate elevated. Um, but that is just one big step that we can take. But I, I will just add one more thing. And sometimes people get the impression because I talk, I'm a nutritionist. So of course I'm talking about the nutrients involved in muscle protein synthesis, namely protein. Um, and some people think like all they have to do is just eat the amount of protein, but it does take that vitamin X as well. We do have to use the muscles, right. <laughs> feed them protein, then use them. And that's the, that's the, uh, the magic recipe. Right. And just so people can visualize it a little bit better. Cause I think a lot of people are thinking, well, what the, how much is 30 grams of protein or 25 grams of protein? What, what, what does that look like? Practically speaking that you can hit that if you're using, um, a nice lean protein source, like a uh, chicken breast, you know, that's not even a whole chicken breast, which mm. are, it's like four ounces, which is about half of today's <laughs> very large chicken breast. <laughs> turkey's eyes chickens. Yeah. Right, right. Um, about four, four ounces of cooked chicken, which is visualized like 
the size of a deck of cards or maybe a little bit more yeah. like a, a deck of tarot cards, right? That's a, uh, that's a dose. That's a muscle building dose of protein. So if you can get that once a day, awesome. And Brock, you know, I have protein cheat sheets and stuff that I've put together to share with people when we have this conversation. Let's make sure we make those available to folks just so they don't have to guess. Absolutely. Go over to brockarmstrong.com and find the find this episode and I'll put links to at least two, probably more <laughs> protein sources that Monica has put together because it's, uh, it's so helpful to to have that stuff right in front of you. And of course, like Monica said, you definitely need to in order for your body to turn that protein into muscle, you need to challenge those muscles. And you all know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that I have a YouTube channel at brockarmstrong.com slash YouTube that has tons and tons of exercise, ones that involve weights, ones that involve laundry, ones that involve stairs, tons of different things to choose from. And you really can't go wrong. So don't get hung up on trying to find the perfect workout. Just find one that looks like fun maybe find one that fills in the deficiencies that you know you have. I always say turn your fitness weaknesses into your fitness strengths because that often can can really help us achieve that durability when we identify that we actually have a weakness in a certain part of our body or a certain movement. Addressing those can go a long, long way, especially if you're sort of struggling of where should I start? That's where you should start. I got to say, I love your YouTube channel. I do think it's a really fun way to find just quick little novel ways to use your body. My two favorites are the exercises to do while watching hockey games, <laughs> which I would like to say are just as useful when you're watching not something other than hockey. Tennis or maybe football. Right. Or. Tennis or, or any yeah Netflix series. Or Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it works just as well. And the other one that I really love, it's probably gotten buried a little bit in the in the chronology now, was the like eight silly ways to use your treadmill. Oh yeah. Eight eight silly ways that, you know, are uh, that would not be allowed at your gym. <laughs> Or at least you'd get laughed at at your gym if you did it. But I encourage people to get laughed at because it's a lot more fun than just running endlessly on the on the treadmill. I, no, I love that treadmill workout. I was just doing my little upside down monkey crawls the other day on my on my home treadmill. I, don't, I haven't had the nerve to do that in public yet. It's so important to to make all of this stuff fun. We yeah. can get so bogged down and make it feel so serious, and you know, losing weight, putting on muscle, getting fit, checking your body composition. I, don't let it bog you down and don't let it make you feel like you're doing it wrong or that you need some sort of master's degree in order to to do this properly. Just have some fun with it and, and really be an experiment on yourself and see what feels good and see what works well for you. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say and also check out our work over at Waylast.life as Monica and I've spent a lot of time with over a thousand people now have been through the program. Yeah. Well over a thousand people have been through the program. So not only do we have our <laughs> decades worth of experience behind us as as coaches, we now have very specific education, I guess, in working with people with these exact issues. Well, right. And all of those things, building muscle, reducing our body fat, you know, they're means to an end, right? They're not the end. So it's really important to have an idea of what you want to do with that healthy body. What what are you going to use that healthy body to do to make your life more fun? I think that's what keeps everybody coming back for more. Yeah. 
yeah, not focusing just on the aesthetic or getting hung up on having a beach body. And I'd rather have fun at the beach than have the perfect beach body. And having fun at the beach means just being a little, little bit stronger, a little bit faster, a little bit leaner. And, and that's, that's really all that we're after is having a good life, not being the, the cover model for the next men's fitness magazine. <laughs> Although, you know, if they call, sure, I'll say. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, that's it. Okay. Anybody listening to <laughs> out there from the magazine world? I have Monica's contact information. Oh, uh, thanks for having me on again, Brock. It was fun to chew the fat, if, if you will. Oh, I see what you did there. I didn't mean to, but I realized I did. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about you and your, your coaching and all, and all your work, where should they go? Well, as you said, the work that we do together is at wayless.life. Come listen to our joint podcast, The Change Academy, which we love doing together. And I also have a nutrition-focused podcast called The Nutrition Diva. Love to see you over there, too. You are everywhere. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this time. And I hope you got some good inspiration to slow down your weight loss stop the yo-yo dieting and to become a little more durable through doing some resistance or strength training and upping your protein intake. I think I nailed all of them there. (laughs) All right. This has been Second Wind Fitness with Brock Armstrong and Monica Reinagle. Bye-bye.